Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. He's one of the more colorful and entertaining personalities in wrestling. A 2009 world silver medalist and 2012 Olympian, Jake Herbert, talks about his new projects at Double Leg Ninja. The state of wrestling, his thoughts on the new coaching hire at USA Wrestling, and what Fila can do to improve. It's coming up on episode 59 of the Short Time Wrestling Podcast. You're listening to the Short Time Wrestling Podcast on TheOpenMat.com. I'm three-time national wrestling writer and broadcaster of the year, Jason Bryant. I'll be taking you through the pertinent topics of the day with previews, reviews, and interviews. Simply put, it's Short Time. Short Time is presented by FlipsWrestling.com. Subscribe to the Short Time Wrestling Podcast on iTunes by going to TheOpenMat.com slash iTunes. Visit Short Time on the web at Audio.TheOpenMat.com to find out how you can listen on your favorite podcasting app. Now it's time, because you've always got time for Short Time. Short Time Wrestling Podcast time. Going to Ann Arbor, Michigan with the Samurai, the Ninja, the Double Leg of the Ninja, the... Whatever you want to call yourself these days, it's Jake Herbert out at the Cliff Keen Wrestling Club. Jake, how is the world treating you these days? It's a big, scary place out there, Jason. It's a good thing that I uh, walk quietly and carry a big sword. Walk quietly, carry a big sword. And did you, did you have to put that sword down in the dirt and, and, and say a brief samurai prayer after the passing of the Ultimate Warrior? Uh, yeah, but I've done that like three times. I mean, I'm pretty sure my mom had to rip me away from the television. Just crying so hard when the Undertaker first put him in a casket. You know, I believe that was probably summer of, like, 96. Yeah, that one got me. I never got over it then, so. Yeah, that, yeah that there's was, a couple that, times. I'm, I'm sick of him dying. He just keeps dying. Yeah, that was that was a tough one for all of us. You know, we we remember, we we, we said a few, uh, few missives, if that's even a word used properly. That's the one thing when we do interviews with Jake. I always lose train of thought because you have no train of thought with some of these things, but... First thing I want to talk about, in episode 58 of the Short Time Wrestling Podcast, we talked with Joey Butler and the walk, uh, the Wrestle in My Shoes campaign. Talk a little bit about what you think about what he's doing at New Jersey with uh, the Wrestle in My Shoes deal. Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, that's exactly what the sport needs more of, and that's what the sport needs to publicize more of. People like Little Butler, man. He he contacted me out of, over whatever, Twitterverse or Facebookverse, one of those things, you know, reached out. And I was like, yeah, I, I usually just kept my old wrestling shoes. I'd autograph them and send them off for things here and there um, as it is. But um, I can't even imagine how many people out there have old wrestling shoes and don't know what to do with them. And this is just a great idea that goes and helps people out because, 
Um, there's a lot of people out there who aren't really fortunate enough to even able to afford their own pair of wrestling shoes or, or they don't want to right away and they don't try the sport because right now what this kid has done is unbelievable. You know, gather all these shoes and give these kids a chance and opportunity to, to step on the mat and see what it's like and hopefully stay in the sport for life. Yeah, it was it was a fun interview with him and his dad, that's for sure. So if you guys have not had a chance to check that out, go to audio.theopenmat.com slash 58 to hear Joe and Joey Butler talk about the wrestling my shoes. And let's talk about you wrestling in your own shoes, Jake. You've been off the mat for quite a while. What has been keeping you off the mat, for those that don't know? Uh, life. you gotta you got to find a way to, uh, to eat, you know. And uh, unfortunately, if you don't get a gold medal, it's uh, it's not as easy as it is to get, to get, um, you know, get all your finances and that stuff in line. So, uh, you know, I came to the realization that, you know, I thought I was going to be done with the sport. I thought I was going to walk away in 2012 and then a whole Olympic bomb got dropped on us. And that kind of got, you know, pulled me back in because I was like, holy crap, our sport kind of needs somebody. You know, it needs a lot of, a lot of somebody's looking out for. And, you know, because you just take it for granted that it's going to always be there and it's always going to be great. And unfortunately, the position our sport is in, it's not doing as well as we'd like it to. And uh, that's kind of what pulled me back in. You know, I want to create a um, national curriculum for the kids. I want to find a way to keep the kids more involved longer. I want to find a way for companies to really step up and help out, um, you know, wrestlers and not just the guys who are winning, but, um, you know, the guys who are up there, you know, it, only 12 to 13 guys qualify for the, uh, the Olympic trials. But unfortunately, if you're three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 qualifying for Olympic trials, you're barely putting together the phone bill. You're barely putting together rent, rent month for months and you can't stay in the sport. You can't thrive and you can't build a sport that's going to thrive off of just a few people. You need to have that whole base built up and strong. So that's what's kind of like, what went through my mind, I got pulled out and I pulled back in and, you know, I'm not done. I want to, um, well, try, you know, while working on the system with Rovax, uh, I've noticed a lot of things about my wrestling. I've become a lot more athletic and, uh, I just look back at like some of the best times of my life were when you're just training and that's it. And I only have a finite number of years left in me. I'm not going to be able to wrestle anymore. So I might as well put everything I can into it. Uh, make sure the gold medal stays here in 2015 at 86 kilos. Uh, in Las Vegas, and then make sure in 2016 I bring it home for Rio de Janeiro. You've been fighting some injuries, and you've had some surgeries. Can you talk a little bit about what you've gone through there off the mat and going under the knife a little bit? Yeah, I had shoulder surgery, uh, reconstruction. It's um, it's amazing what these doctors can do because I feel unbelievable. Um, it was a big, long battle. It's not something I ever want to have to go for. Through again, 2012, I had shoulder surgery in December before the Olympic trials and literally got it done going in thinking I was going to have to have full reconstructive surgery. And I was lucky enough to just to have it scoped and, you know, be able to get back on the mat and compete the way I did and make the Olympic team and be able to train through it. But then took some time, recharged mentally and physically, got the surgery and was ready to go about my life. And like I said, I got pulled back into the wrestling world and, uh, you know, so I'm going to see you through it till I'm done. So are we going to see you wrestling at the trials or are you going to just aim for 15 and 16? Yeah, no, 15 and 16. I'm I'm back on my first week back right now. You know, I had to go up against the mighty Andrew Howard this week and uh, just reassured me I'm not ready for the trials yet. I will be very soon. But it's um, it's a lot of fun getting back into it. Um, you know, I, I might plan a perfect world. I go over to Russia in October. I hit up those tournaments over there. You know, another one in February, and then be back for the U.S. Open and the uh, the Olympic or sorry, the World Team Trials. Uh, for 2015. Let's go back a little bit and kind of trace your lineage to where you're at right now. You grew up in Western Pennsylvania. You're a diehard Pittsburgh Steelers fan. 
which uh, oh, yeah. probably makes things a little difficult there dealing with Rovat, who's from Cleveland. Oh, it makes it easy because what else do we have to argue about? Well, who's better, Pittsburgh or Cleveland? And oh, obviously Pittsburgh. You know, it's a really easy argument. And who, who's got who's got better sloppy food? I mean, Pittsburgh's got Permani Brothers and Iron City Light. Yeah, we got. I mean, that's what we win every battle. It's pretty easy. Now, talk about gr- growing up wrestling. I mean, there was a you were on the poster for USA Wrestling a couple years ago, and it, there was a couple pictures of you wrestling when you were a little kid. Uh, when did you first get into wrestling, and how did you get involved in the sport? Uh, my dad got me into it. I started doing judo first. He didn't let me wrestle too early. You know, maybe from six to like eight to get my balance in the sport and really, um, you know, have an appreciation for it before I was able to just jump right into it. You know, you kind of see all these kids nowadays at like six, seven, or eight getting put out there, and a lot of them don't even know what they're doing. Um, you know, it makes it make it tough for those kids to figure out, you know, if they really like it or not, because you've seen all these kids just go out there and wrestle, and then they start crying after the other guy gets his hand raised. They don't even know if they won or lost. They just know, oh, my hand didn't get raised. I'm going to cry. So when it, when, when it comes to time for you to potentially have a have offspring that wrestles, what would be the ideal age for you think that they should start? Um, I'm going to say probably like anywhere between 10 and, you know, 8, eight and 12, but that really depends on the kid. You know, every kid's different. Some kids are ready at the age of eight to step out there and compete full-time. Some kids aren't ready until they're 12 or 13. And that's just an individual thing, and that's what's so really tough about it, is there is no right age for everyone. Every, every single kid's different. going to handle that differently. Well, in, in Western Pennsylvania, wrestling's part of the culture. Uh, I mean, it's it's a big deal. Whip, there's a lot of pride in being a Whippeal guy. You wrestled at North Allegheny, which is a, a typically known as a powerhouse program. I mean, in, in the late 80s, early 90s, going through those monster teams. And, of course, a lot of those guys ended up being your coach at, at the Angry Fish Wrestling Club. Talk a little bit about coming through North Allegheny and then uh, basically your maturation process, if that's even applicable, under time or Ray Brinzer with the Angry Fish Wrestling Club. Well, it's a fantastic opportunity to, to learn from the guys that I grew up with. I mean, that's, that's the thing about wrestling is you need to keep it community-oriented. You know, I was sitting there in the wrestling room in North Allegheny Tiger. I wanted to be an NA Tiger because I wanted to be a four-time state champion like Ty Moore. I wanted to be a three-time state champion like uh, Ray Brinzer. Having those guys come back in the room and teach me, it just gives me that goal. Oh, my God, I can go and do this. I can go do that. And, and you hope that the next crop is better than that generation. You know, that's, that's, that's the way it should be, community-oriented, going back and giving back and having these guys stop back in. I mean, every time I'm back in Pittsburgh, I make sure I stop in that North Allegheny wrestling room. So the guys can see, you know, where I'm at, what I'm doing, um, you know, and hopefully get the next batch of um, little angry fish to come up through there, take over the wrestling world. You know, we got some some tough guys. Uh, Dom Flores didn't get a state championship this year, North Allegheny Tiger, but he um, he had a great career for the for the Tigers, and he's going to continue wrestling down at University of Pitt. You know, and he's somebody who I think is going to be a late bloomer and is really going to come out of his shell uh, in college. So I'm hoping that he goes on and does better than I've ever did in college. Well, that's going to be that's going to be tough to top. You're four-time All-American, two-time national champ. So, topping that is is probably a very lofty goal. But with that, there's so much talk about how good Pennsylvania is as a state and a lot of schools come in. It's not just the the Penn States and then you've got your Lehigh's, your Bloomsburg, your your PSAC schools, but a lot of the big-time programs come in and take talent from Pennsylvania. You see that with Jordan Oliver and his success at Oklahoma State. You left the state and went to Northwestern. What state schools were you considering, or what schools in Pennsylvania were you considering had you not gone to Northwestern? It was Michigan, came down to Michigan, Virginia, University of Virginia, Virginia Tech, 
North Carolina, and then Northwestern. All schools that I wouldn't be able to get into without wrestling because they're very good academically. And I never knew that you could do anything with wrestling afterwards. I figured you had to graduate college and then get a job because that's all wrestling did. I was unaware that there was a different path or venture that you could get on wrestling-wise. And um, I think that's something that these kids need to know. They need to know that, hey, going into it, you can go on Aaron Pico and not have to go to college. You can, you can support yourself. You can find a way to make a living uh, through this sport. And I don't think there's enough of that out there because I was very unaware of that, and that's why I picked Northwestern. That's why I went to college and he said, hey, I'm going to get a degree, and then I'm going to be done wrestling. If that word's not getting out there, kids don't know that. Kids don't know freestyle. Kids don't know that if they want to compete full-time and win Olympic gold medal, these kids don't know they have to wrestle freestyle and Greco. And um, that's upsetting to me um, because it's not my job to spread that word. You know, it, it, but these kids should know that. They should know that, hey, if I want to be an Olympic gold medalist, I can't wrestle folk style. And unfortunately, that's the thinking and that's the mindset right now in the United States that I want to win an Olympic gold medal. I, you know, I want to wrestle. I want to be the best. I got to do folk style. I got to do folk style. It's folk style. no freestyle emphasis anymore in the country. And it's, um, it's a sad thing to see. You'd mentioned freestyle and Greco-Roman. You wrestled both styles pretty consistently. Now you're seeing some of the, the elite kids kind of focus in on just freestyle. Matt Lindlin writes a column for us in Tom the Magazine, and in his next story, he's going to talk about why wrestle Greco. What did you benefit from with wrestling Greco-Roman? Oh, my gosh. Your tie-ups, your parterre, your, your grit. I mean, it's if you can get a lock, if you can get a lock on a Greco guy, you're good. And especially if you can maintain one. You can turn one of those guys, you're going to turn any freestyle guy. So, I mean, you're going to build up your offense, you're going to build up the defense to a level that's just ridiculous because that's what those guys do. They're so good at top and bottom. They're so good at parterre, they're so good at pummeling, you know, locks and throws. It's it's just fantastic to step out of your element and go with that because it's a lot different when you're wrestling somebody who's going to have upper body throws compared to, you know, someone who's going to be like a John Smith and just shoot low singles at you. It gives you that different feel so that you're prepared. So it's more of like a foreign feel. All those foreigners know throws. All those foreigners know how to prepare their upper body attacks. They're, um, they're good at it, and they practice it, and they trained it, and it shows in the wrestling. Going back to your days wrestling freestyle in Greco, what was what were some of the best battles you had in those international styles before you even hit the the big stage in Fargo? Well, I had a couple pretty good ones with Ben Askren as a young kid. I never got the best of him um, in freestyle in Greco, but that was the first time I ever wrestled him. I mean, I didn't start wrestling freestyle in Greco until tenth grade. I concentrated on folk style. I didn't know that there was another style out there. Um, until Ty Moore and Ray Brinza really introduced me to that, and I started to get my wrestling year-round in. But I really feel like that's what enabled my crispness. Like, I had really good ones with Kurt Brenner, um, Jared King, all, all sorts of guys that were, you know, wrestling just in the summertime. And these are the best guys in the state, and they're wrestling during the summertime, and it was going back and it was helping the folk style. And that's something I feel like coaches are really missing, um, especially in the state of Michigan right now. I mean, I, I don't think there's more than about 30 or 40 clubs practicing freestyle Greco, and they don't realize how much that will actually help their folk style and how much you can have these little battles because I remember watching, you know, Matt Storniolo and Matt King, um, you know, go at it at the, at the duels when we had uh, the Angry Fish versus the Nittany Lion Wrestling Club. We had Kurt Brenner and James Yonashanis, um battling out. You had Coleman Scott, Mark McKnight, um, and Drew Headley all battling it out, you know, uh, through Fargo and, and all, all that stuff, and it was just... These guys got each other better, and um, that's really something our sport is missing right now. Uh, you mentioned Matt Storniolo. What are you going to do to try to avenge the fact that he allegedly pinned you at the lake? Um, yeah, I don't 
think anybody knows that. Uh, everybody knows, knows that, that or, now. Or, believe, or, or believe that, because I can't remember being pinned by Matt Storino with the lake. Yeah, I don't know what I'll do. I guess I'll just keep on keep on wrestling. I mean, I'm on the mat right now. I know my body's holding up a lot better than Matt is, and I'm bigger and stronger and better looking. So I can maybe let him have one or two victories. Uh, what about, I mean, right now your hair is looking fantastic. We saw it at the Beat the Streets. You're, you're rocking the old Cliff Keen headband, and the, the hair is flowing well. But Storney was rocking a pretty solid mullet throughout the last two seasons. How would you grade that? He had a fantastic mullet. It's no Rob Eider, king of all mullet mullets. But I felt like that was a big inspiration behind Circus's mullet. You know, I'm going to say that mullet probably definitely helped him give him the push in the back end that he needed to uh, get that national title done. I mean, that's hard to do as a freshman. No one's ever done that before. Maybe it's because nobody had the... Uh, them all to do so well speaking of that you know you, you're coming from northwestern and you know a lot of the, the big guys that are coming through at the senior level they wrestled at some of the power programs oklahoma states the minnesotas the penn states uh the iowas what is it like for you as an alum to sit back and watch the national championships and see a freshman go out there and win a national title for a school like northwestern which has had good success but it's typically not a school you're thinking you're going to get a you know, a freshman national champion out of. Oh, it was awesome. It was fantastic to watch, you know, and especially to show that. And, and it, just, it just goes to show, you know, you can get a national title wherever you go, especially it's such such an individual sport wrestling is. I mean, you can go to any school, win a national title, as long as you have the right people, the right mindset, um, you know, around and behind you. Um, more impressively and, and harder to do is getting that team title. JB, because I don't. I, it's going to be very, very tough for Northwestern University to really cro- crack that top two, top three uh, team-wise. They can do it. They've had some individuals that hadn't been done before, but it's just so hard to have that team title-wise. And I think that's really something I would love to, you know, hear from you. Is is what do you think wrestling needs to do, Jason, to get <laughs> to make dual meets matter, to make college dual meets matter? When Northwestern comes here and wrestles Michigan, and they get just, you know, they either win or they lose. It doesn't make a difference because it's all about that NCAA tournament right now. Right? What What is what is the point of having these team duels right now? That's really what I like. My mind is wrapped around with one of the things I'd like to, to know what college wrestling is going to do there. Well, my personal opinion on it is, first of all, I would love to see a national dual meet championship sponsored by the NCAA and an individual championship sponsored by the NCAA. However... Precedent does not exist for that to happen in sports because the NCAA does not award two team title or two championships in the same sport. Now, indoor track and outdoor track are technically separate sports. There's separate season. There's separate events. So you'll have an indoor track champ and an outdoor track champ, even though some of those are the same athletes. So what I what I would love to happen is not possible. So uh, I'm a big fan of the dual meet concept and why it should matter. I mean, I don't. I sit here as in a media standpoint going, all right, we got, we'll got we do a duel of the week and we'll break down the matchups. And sometimes three or four of those matchups won't happen because it's, it's, it's early January, the duel meet season, the grind isn't there yet. And, and we'll see guys held out for a, a ding here and there. Or what frustrates me even more about maybe even guys being held out as a forfeit. I mean, you got a room of 30 guys. You don't, what's the rule that says you should redshirt every single guy. I mean, there's guys in there that are practice partners that are recruited specifically to be workout guys, they would kill for an opportunity to wrestle just one dual meet in a school singlet. So making the dual meet matter is kind of that, it's that divisive topic. And should we crown our national champions through a dual meet, which is 10 on 10, team versus team, or should it be the way it's always been done, 
where, you know, I kind of waffle a little bit. I think the best measure of who the better team is head to head is a dual meet. The best measure of the strongest team. I mean, sometimes you look at it where say Penn state and Oklahoma state, they could conceivably meet maybe one time in a tournament and, you know, one individual match could could be all you see, whereas you could see them 10 times in a dual meet. So I don't like the concept of a hybrid scoring situation, but I would love to see a dual meet championship where winning the Big Ten means you're going to go – or actually winning the Southern Conference means you're going to go to a national tournament and get Director's Cup points because I sit here and I hear people talk about Appalachian State and the Citadel like, oh, yeah, they got two All-Americans. Like, uh, they got two All-Americans. They were 22nd. Yeah, 22nd. Nice. I would love to see uh, a couple years ago when Cornell wrestled Iowa. I thought that was perfectly made for TV because you've got the Big Ten juggernaut and the Ivy League school. Or take Edinburgh or Central Michigan who've had real good dual meet teams. That's that's a true David and Goliath type of story. That would be great for television. But, you know, the dual meet, it doesn't mean anything as far as uh, Director's Cup points. So it's really an open-ended question with no real answer. It depends on who you talk to, you know, yeah. Rob Colt thinks a dual meet or Jay Robinson and Rob Cole like dual meets. Uh, Jay Robinson's probably, uh, Jay Robinson's probably been the biggest proponent for dual meet championship. Whereas Kale Sanderson likes the situation the way it is. Kale, you got five horses. You're going to be hard to beat every year. So you can understand each side. Whereas Minnesota will have eight, five, six, seven, eight, all Americans placing in those rounds. They're going to have a great dual meet team. So, uh, to answer your question, it's there. I don't think there is a, a a golden egg type of answer, but I would love to have a dual meet between Campbell and the Citadel actually mean something for those schools. The winner gets to go, and guess what? You get a chance to wrestle Iowa in the first round of the national duels. Yeah, you're probably going to yeah. get smoked, but guess what? Every 16 seed in NCAA basketball, they might, you know, they've a 16 seed's never beaten a one in men's basketball. So, you know. The opportunity still exists. I mean, when a 15 beats a two, it's huge, huge for the program. Look at Florida Gulf Coast and basketball. Nobody knew who the heck they were until they made the run into the Sweet 16 uh, two years ago. So a yeah. uh, little soapbox rant there, Mr. Herbert. Good question. No, I like I like him, especially from, from the minds of you, because I, I just want to know what's, what's being done to work on this, because you get that complaint over and over again. Well, no one's showing up for these matches. Nobody's showing up for these big big meets and you know I, I just wonder why you're in and you're out every single you know it, it wonders me like what do you think michigan state's total attendance is for their home dual meets i think it was think the crack it was the only match this year penn state did not sell out home or away i believe or have mm-hmm. at least have the biggest crowd so yeah look at it that way i think the whole gen uh, the whole situation with the season needs to be worked around it needs to be maybe if you're going to eventually have a dual meet championship, whether it's NCAA sponsored or not, you, you can't have a dual meet in November at home, and then your next home dual meet be in January. You, yeah, you just there's too there much be, time. There needs to be a dual. There needs to be a time and a place for dual season because right now I think wrestling's just so unorganized. Any college team can have an, any number of tournaments or any number of of dual meet matches as long as it stays within like their point system or anything. And there's not like a specific time to have dual meets. You know, they don't start on this date and end on this date, and then all of a sudden you have to go to tournaments or something. I feel like having them organized and being on the same page is going to help everyone else scheduling-wise because, one, you know, my biggest pet peeve about the sport is we are shooting ourselves in the foot because every single year, come the first weekend in March, 
we have the youth state championships, we have the high school state championships, and we have the college conference meets at the same exact time. Are we trying to? And that's what I want to say. Like, like look, look at the people setting this up. Do they just hate each other? Do they all get along? Do they want to see our sport succeed? Why, why, why is it that we're splitting hairs like that? Well, what about the you know, one wow. year where the EIWAs, the EWLs, the Big Tens, and the PIAAs were all the same weekend in the same state? Yes, exactly. Who is the genius behind that? Well, let's that, look at it this way. Let's play. Let's play devil's <laughs> advocate for a little bit. And what other sport does high school scheduling have anything to do with college scheduling? I mean, that's the that's the one thing with our fan base is it's it's they're the same fans that are going to go to both. Your your fans that go to the state championships always want to go to the the conference, the Big Tens or the the NCAA's, and when they're on top of each other, yes, that affects attendance, but. What about men's, the bigger sports? Well, the ACC tournament's going to be held here in round ball. They don't care about the Virginia High School State Basketball Tournament or the North Carolina State Basketball Tournament. So what other sport has that precedent where the colleges look at the high school schedule? So that's the one way to look at it. I, I think if a shift in season and you get those dual meets over before the high school postseason, you've got your dual meet championships, and then you've got uh, – they need to move the season. I think the season could be pushed back, at least the championships – so where the conference tournaments start after, say, most of the high school state titles are done. So you're thinking uh, mid-March, where the Nationals are now, could be your conference tournament. But you'd have to slide the season from starting in October to maybe after Thanksgiving. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to eat on Thanksgiving? It would. And I just think that's, that's what's going to have to happen anyway. I think you're going to have to have a change in the season. Or you're going to have to go about it like football. You know, they have it where... Fridays is high school, Saturdays is college, Sundays is pros. If, and if we're going to do that, we need to have everyone get on the same page and do that. Or you're going to have to go ahead and shift the season. I mean, and, and somebody's going to give. I mean, you know, when, when, when I have Penn State show up here to wrestle uh, University of Michigan, and it's, it does sell out, but when I know there's five other tournaments, five other youth, 12 other tournaments going on at the same at that time, that there are five gyms within a 45-minute drive of watching the best wrestlers in the nation in college. And those kids are at a tournament, standing around, you know, getting 12 minutes of wrestling for five to six hours in a gym, thinking that that's more important than going and supporting our sports. I mean, there is just like, you know, we can look at it. Like the fans, there are only a certain finite number of wrestling fans. The, the fans are going to get to the college matches and the, the high school matches are your younger kids that are going to be there one day. So you can't have the seasons go on at the same time if you want them in the stands. You need to give them a break. You need to make sure that they're able to get there, and you need to make sure that, you know, it's marketing or know about it. Like, you know, do you do you have your tickets set up for the 2015 World Team Trials yet, Jason Bryant? You're going to go, right? Oh, I'm going to go. I mean, I'm, not a, a, I'm in a situation where I don't need to buy tickets because I'm, I'm part of the media. But, yeah, that would be a question I would have for for. Would it be fans. nice to, to know where it is, to, to have it in advance? I mean, it's just like – Little things like that is really kind of like, you know, that relates to your first question is, is you know, that's what got me back to the sport is why don't we have those things organized? We got to stop, you know, settling for mediocre. We got to stop settling for being unorganized about little things like that. You know, there's no reason why the college schedule shouldn't be organized. And, and you know, the football schedule gets released so early and you can know when there's going to be home and away games for the next, you know, two to three years. There's no reason why the wrestling can't be the same. People like to plan things in advance. Parents love being able to know when to drop their kids off and when being able to pick them up. Um, it just little things about this, like in wrestling, and that's something I could go on forever about, is 
you know, the things that we need to organize if we're going to survive and if we're going to thrive in these next, you know, four to five to ten years. Well, Jake, I think we could talk about this topic for the next four to five to ten years in that case. But uh, let's let's move on to some other topical discussions. One thing uh, I'd like to get your opinion on, the National Freestyle Coach has been named, and they kind of went back to the future, so to speak, and hired Bruce Burnett to finish out the cycle. What do you think about the hiring of Bruce Burnett? I love Bruce Burnett. I think he's a great guy. I, I, he's a fantastic coach. He coached me over the Pan Am Games. He knows what he's doing. What I don't understand is when we win a world title uh, in 2015, because the United States can do that, and it's going to be here in, in Las Vegas, so there's 100% why we shouldn't do that. Wouldn't it be sweet to have a young new coach in there like a Cal Sanderson? And I'm not saying Cal Sanderson should be it. I'm just saying when Cal Sanderson came over to Penn State, and he was named a new coach, it brought life back into the program. It pulled everything in. It made people want to get on board. And now you see the success they had year after year after year. Um, unfortunately, I know Bruce isn't going to be committed for the next cycle. He's just committed through this cycle. And it's a safe play. It's a, um, it's a very safe play for them. Uh, and by them, I mean USA Wrestling. And uh, I just don't understand how that's going to help them go forward. I, w- I would have liked to have him be named, you know, if he's going to be the overseas, he's going to be it for an interim coach. You know, take a chance on somebody young. Take a chance on somebody that could be the next, you know, national team coach for the next two cycles, three cycles, four cycles, so that you're going to have people getting behind this guy, getting that momentum going. Because when we win a world championship in 2015, it's going to look like, oh, well, the reason why we did that is because Bruce stepped in, and we can only do it by going backwards, you know, and, and that's just what the main people look at. They see that, oh, we, we're not going to be able to do it in the future, but nobody knows that it's all the hours that Zeke Jones put in. It's, it's all the regional training centers getting their guys ready year in and year out and the team coming together at the end. And now Bruce is going to stand here and um, he's going to do a fantastic job. I, I know that, that there's, he's not going to mess up. I know we're not going to do worse. I know we're going to do better. But I would have liked to have seen somebody that hasn't had the chance before to take a chance on these guys, to put somebody in there so that when we win this world title going into the Olympics, we have a big momentum going with the United States, with the power, with the following, with little kids wanting to get in on it, little kids wanting to be the future, little kids seeing that because that's going to be a big thing for us to win this world championship in 2015. And especially here in the United States, you know, we're hosting it. We want to make sure it's a big deal and, and done right. And um, it's just not something that I don't want to see slip through our hands as like a wasted opportunity. Does that make sense in that, Randy? It Did does. It, it does. But I also want to throw this out as, as a potential discussion point is, what Zeke did at USA Wrestling is he was obviously he had great technical ability and coaching ability, but he had he was had the GM mentality where he goes, yeah. All right, Jordan Burroughs, you're much better training in Lincoln with Mark Manning and mapping out the practice plan based on the USA schedule, just like Jake Varner training out at Nittany Lion with Cale Sanderson, uh the guys training in Stillwater. So you've you've got to have a GM mentality and I think one thing that Bruce brings to the table is in the first time, I got to say, backtrack a little bit. In 2012 at the Junior World Championships in Thailand, which was an absolutely kind of interesting place to go, I'd sit there and I'd listen to Bruce talk to Mike Haggerty, and they would be talking about technique. They'd be talking about talking to the oh, kids about what they're Bruce doing. And I'm sitting there going, I mean, the I knew Bruce Burnett as a coach at Navy. He was a coach of the na- uh, national team right when I was getting into wrestling, so I wasn't around to know what he's doing. This guy knows his stuff. So 
I'll say it, it's a good two-year bridge because he does bring a kind of a GM mentality to it. Ne- I mean, obviously, they were, they were throwing names around like Terry Brands, Lou Roselli, uh, names like that. What type of individual do you think could bring a GM mentality to, let, to, to keep the infrastructure of the regional training centers, which seems to work very well in freestyle? And who would, who would be somebody you would throw out and be like, all right, this person can teach technique, he can set up practice plans, and he can work with all the different personalities that are in freestyle wrestling? Well, that's what you got to look at is, is it's not as much coaching anymore. You know, um, hands-on, I don't think I had – you can't even compare night and day to the time that Zeke spent with me going over technique to the time that Sean Bournette uh, spent with me going over technique. I mean, it, it can't even hold a candle because, one, Zeke's not my coach full-time. He's just a national team coach. You know, it, it, it's the same thing with Jordan Burroughs, Mark Manning, and Schneider are training Jordan Burroughs. He's coaching it. Zeke's just overseeing everything. You know, if Zeke says, hey, you got to make this big change, and Manning and, you know, Schneider don't believe it, and Jordan doesn't believe it, it's it's probably not going to get done. So it's such a different role now. What, what what I think Zeke did a fantastic job of was securing, you know, securing, making sure that everybody had what they needed. And that's funding-wise, that's training-wise, that's trip-wise. Zeke did such a good job of setting that stuff up and didn't just set us up just for this quad, but set us up for the next couple quads with that stuff. That's a fantastic job. Bruce, I don't know how he's going to be uh, GM-wise. I think he should be very good. But like I said, technically, when I got to work with Bruce, um, at the Pan Am Games, he knows so much technique. The guy breaks down film probably better than almost anyone in the world. And if you look at his success of back when wrestling was the hands-on national team approach when he had Sean Bourman, when he had Brands, when he had uh, Kurt Angle, he had Kendall Cross, he had all those young studs that came up and are now some of the best coaches now. 100% Bruce is going to be a go-to guy uh, for this choice, and he's going to be a fantastic, you know, a fantastic coach for it. But is is this the right step moving forward? Is this the right step preparing for the future? I hope so. I know that we all want to get to the same place. Everybody in wrestling wants to see wrestling succeed and get to the best place, and everybody has a different idea and a different game plan of how to get there. So um, I'm just really curious to see how that idea and that game plan is going to go because we better get ready for a big buzz and a big spark that's going to happen in 2015 here right before the games. Cause like I'm saying, you know, USA, we can, and we will win a world title uh, in 2015. And there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that that's not going to happen. I mean, I, it's, it, you can, I can already see the storm coming with all the young kids that we have coming up with the, the team we have put together. It's going to be a fantastic thing. And especially with uh, the world championships being, you know, in Las Vegas here, I want to sell out. I hope that we get at least, you know, half the people that we get to show up for NCAAs are going to show up for the world championships in Las Vegas. I hope people are already getting their tickets in advance. I mean, I mean, that's something that we got to try to lock down and we got to try to push because that's a big thing for our sport because if we can't sell out a world championships here in the United States, um, you know, in the heart of wrestling, then freestyle on Greco's future is looking very, very dim. All right, let's talk about the World Championships as you bring it up. Last year, we had the opportunity, we were on the call for the broadcast through Fila's website and the the World Championships in Budapest, and you had to, the opportunity to observe it from a situation where you weren't competing, you weren't training for the, for the team, you were there as a broadcaster, you're obviously working on some Fila uh, athlete representation as well. From... For the wrestling fan listening to this that has never been to a world championship, describe to them what the finals atmosphere is like, what what it's like being overseas at a world championship. Oh, it's awesome. 
you got one, the fans are crazy because they're not they're not just gonna sit there and not cheer. It's like basically being in the giant Iowa section. We're in the middle of the Iowa section wearing, you know, a bright orange shirt. And it's um with a lot it's, more it's, fifty year old men singing and rocking back and yeah. forth arm in arm. Yeah, and it's it's fantastic. I mean you got all the pressure on because it's a world championship. These are the best wrestlers in the world, not just the best wrestlers in the nation at that time. These guys, you know, there are guys out here who will, you know, you look at that, that Russian, for example, at 96 kilo, that won Schultz this year. He's 19, and he tech-falled three NCAA championships on his route there, and he's 19 years old. You know, that it, it's, it's unbelievable. So this is the best wrestlers in the world going at it and it's um it's fantastic to watch because you see the sickest scrambles you see the best technique you see the best throws and you see them putting everything out there because literally if you want to beat or if you want to beat any of these people the rest of the mentality is you got to kill me you got to kill me or you got to literally break me where i can't do anything else because there's a world title on the line um it's it's the best mentality the best atmosphere out there it, it, it's just like watching it is just an awe as you know being in the room with these guys who have trained that long for just this little amount of time and they're literally making, you know, legends. They're, they're literally creating their own stories, their own legends. You're, you're watching a living legend when you watch, um, you know, Datasaw pump up in 120 kilos and win a world title in a different weight class, you know, and he didn't even make the weight, you know, the, the world team the, the year before. Sorry, he didn't even make the world team at the weight class below. It's insane. Now, what about the, the, the changes that have been made since – uh, wrestling got put back into the Olympics. Obviously, you and Andy Rovat have been very critical of Fila and very vocal about your displeasure for the previous leadership and even some of the changes that have been going back and forth. What are some things you think Fila has improved upon since getting back into the Olympics? Uh, what they've improved upon is their you know, presence in social media, which is key. You know, Literally, when wrestling got dropped, they had 19 Twitter followers with three tweets. And that was something I brought up to them, and they kind of laughed at me. And then when they got the question error from, you know, the IOC, it said, what is your social media? And then they were like, oh, we need help. So, yeah, of course you need help. You know, that's just one easy thing. How else are you going to connect everybody in the world if not through social media? You know, so that, that was one thing that they've really stepped up to, the rules. They've gotten them back where they're a lot more consistent. They're a lot better. They need to make sure they stay this way because if they change the, the rules year to year to year to year and they keep changing, they keep tweaking, little tweaks and stuff is all right, but changing periods, changing you know different moves or this and that, that just gets too confusing. They need to simplify the sport so that the referees are there to do two things. To call when points are scored, they throw up two points for a takedown. They throw up one point you know, for a hand-to-hand turn and to protect the wrestlers. We can't give the referees power because now it's all you have a whole different element. You sometimes don't just have to beat the, you know, beat the wrestler, but you have to beat the wrestler and the ref. So that's something I really hope they continue to step up with to make it simplify. And then, you know, to make it even easier, that, that includes overtime. You know, there's, there's no reason in the world why they shouldn't have overtime in there. It's not that hard to understand. I, oh, it's a tie score at the end of the match. It doesn't matter if I scored three threes or five fives or one two or, or whatever. The score is tied. Next point wins. That's not hard to understand instead of having to go, oh, there's 20 seconds left. I need to call a timeout because I need to know if I'm winning or he's winning or what it is. And then everybody breaks and just, it just breaks the flow in the action of the match. Like, keep it easy. Keep it simple. Keep it basic. It's what works. 
So I think they're getting back to that, which is nice. And they're starting to realize that the longer they have it like this, the more people are going to participate in freestyle, the more people will be able to understand freestyle. I mean, we got to sell our sport, not just to the people in it, but we got to sell it to like the parents, the new girlfriends that come in, um, the people who've never seen the sport. They want to sit down. They should be able to understand wrestling after watching, you know, one match. And I don't think that's the case right now. I think it's too complicated. It's too hard because I can sit down and watch a match with John Smith and completely disagree on the scores. And, you know, and, and we, we both been watching wrestling forever. And that's what I think a challenge that they have uh, still ahead of them is making sure it is simplified, making sure it is fan friendly and making sure that, you know, it stays consistent. Now, what are some things you think Fila could, could change and improve on? I'm going to kind of lead you with this for a little bit. I think the two-day format that the U.S. Open did with having the semis and, you know, uh, the semis and finals on different days or maybe even having the semis and finals on a second day, do you think the scheduling needs to be tweaked to maybe make it a little bit more fan-friendly and have the ability to, to build up those stories? Because, like, at the Olympics, you had one day to see Jordan Burroughs. You had one day to see Jake Varner. You had one day to see Hamid Sorian from Iran. You had one day to see those guys. Yeah, I think the two-day format is fantastic. I think that's an awesome thing, too, at all levels because, I mean, between you and me, like, I, I missed the first round of NCAAs, but I really wasn't that worried. You know, round I didn't miss? I didn't miss the quarterfinals. I didn't miss the semifinals. I didn't miss the finals. You know, same thing with the U.S. Open because the first-round matchups, eh. You know, I understand it's a random draw and you could get some awesome first-round matchups, but in general, people really aren't that worried about the first round. It's, a, it's those quarterfinals, it's those semifinals, and it's the finals that people want to come to see. So, yeah, I agree formatting would be huge, especially having a two-day event like that where you can make sure that you have one big sellout, four finals, four semifinals, and make sure that people come up because people don't want to come up and watch five hours of wrestling in a row. I mean, some do, don't get me wrong, but your, your typical fan doesn't want to have to be there for five hours watching 40 matches. He'd like to get in and out in an hour, watch his three or four exciting matches, and, and just be done and be on his way. And that's the normal fan that I'm talking about. That's not the diehard wrestling fan that a lot of us are, and a lot of us are in the sport. Well, what about what were your thoughts on the U.S. Open? We had the opportunity to do the television with NBC Universal or Universal Sports, and you know that 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 semifinal round on the two matches in the Golden Circle, I thought it was a cool idea. It just it went really long. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I thought it was long, too. I mean, it's just hard trying to squeeze all those matches in at one time. And it's unfortunate that, you know, like I said, I know all those matches didn't make television. Only a certain few did. You know, that's just unfortunate the way it is right now. Um, it, it was long, and I, I think, yeah, it could, be cut. it could be cut down. But I don't know how to do that yet. Um, I don't know what the perfect format is because it hasn't worked out. You know, when you have... 4,000, 5,000 people at the U.S. Open, and then all of a sudden in one night, Jordan Oliver and Logan Stevens match gets 40,000 views on Flow Wrestling. That's a problem. That's a problem that you have 40,000 people watching that match. It's the one quarterfinal match, but you can't even get a, you know, a fifth of that into the seats. That's, and that's something we need to fix as a sport. What are some things that, uh, you know, you had a, a couple athletes from the Cliff Keen Wrestling Club there in the Golden Circle wrestling in the semis and finals. Did you talk to them about the what it was like to wrestle in that type of environment and maybe, you know, a little more appreciation for the athletes and putting them on, 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 a, on a raised stage and, and center stage? Yeah, they liked that, but they knew. I mean, those kids knew which one made television and which one didn't. You know, they knew the ones that the matches that went first were making on TV and the ones that went later were. So some of them were like mad. They're like, oh, you know, I'm wrestling here. I'm not, this is a match that isn't going to be televised. And they feel slighted for it. And they should, you know, because 
it stinks, but but that's that's the way it is. Not everyone, not everyone, not every match is that exciting, especially when you see two two bangers come up and you're like, oh, this is going to be the most exciting match in the world, and then all of a sudden it's you know um, a one to one snooze fest, and nothing happens, you know, and then all of a sudden you get two people who you don't think is going to be exciting, and then boom, you get a twenty eight to thirty two match like we had down at that match. I'm sure that was exciting as crap, but it's it's so hard to predict that, and it's almost impossible to predict that. So. That's a, that's another tough thing and yet another problem that, you know, we as a sport need to figure out. What are some changes you would make to international wrestling if you were the boss right now? Oh, my gosh. I would start paying the athletes. You know, I, I don't really know how much money gets invested back into from FILA into the athletes. I've never gotten any, I think, directly from FILA. Yeah, I, I can assure that I've never gotten any money from FILA. Um, you know, you got to put money permits together. You got to put stage things together. I mean, you have you have enough money to buy a sixty million dollar castle, but you can't pay athletes to win the world championships. You know, you can't you can't say, hey, we're setting an incentive for an overall tournament champion that gets a belt. You know, like they do here in the state of Michigan, they have the top fifty. You know, you can get a triple crown um, belt. You know, and there's some sort of point system set up where if you go to all these tournaments. You know, you're you're this little, you're this league champion. You know, the fact that we don't have one of those for international wrestling, um, that kills me. Um, you know, another thing that I would do would be to make sure I pick the correct spots to make sure that I know that, for example, with Uzbekistan uh, taking the world championships, they better make sure that they have you know X amount of tickets pre-sold for it. They better make sure that you know, and, and I think they they feel it doesn't really take as much charge to the event as it should. They kind of just put it off on the host country. Um, for a lot of things, I understand there's a ton of things there. So the other thing I would do is I would hire a staff. Um, I know that FEMA probably doesn't have a staff of more than six or seven people currently right now, um, which is bad. And I know that our governing body has, you know, a staff of about 30 people. So, you know, one, you got to increase work to get work done. You got to spend money if you guys want to make money. I mean, if you, if you look at somebody that does it right, you look at Mike Overkratz, you know, what he puts into that beat the street events that thing raised over a million dollars for the beat the streets. And, you know, he had to spend a lot of money up front to make that, but he was able to make it back as he invested and he put it in. I just don't see the leadership um, up at the top, putting that money back into the sport, putting it back into the athletes and more importantly, putting it into the events. You know, that's something I'd like to see. Um, I would love to win the world title in 2015 at the MGM, you know, but unfortunately I know that's not what the world championships are. Um, I can't tell you the name of the place they're at, because some people have told me it before, and it's a very forgettable place. And um, that scares me um, for this upcoming World Championships that I can't even tell you the venue that's going to be holding, held. And I know it's going to be in Vegas. I don't even know the place. I've never even seen the place. I've never even heard the place. And I've been to Vegas every year since I was in 10th grade. You talked about the Beat the Streets event. You were there watching, and uh, there were a lot of lot of big names there. You had a Dana White there. You had Neil deGrasse Tyson there. You had big stars of stage and screen. I mean, Kelly Ripa was there. I mean... That event, I've been to it once before, and it was the coolest wrestling event I had ever attended. Uh, what are your opinions on that match, and what type of model do you think can come out of that type of dual meet event in such a, a crazy type of atmosphere? It is. It's the, it's the best wrestling event all year round. It really is. It's the most fun to go to. It's the one that everyone wants to go to. It's the one where celebrities show up. It's the one that sells out the most. It sells out their tickets easily, maybe because of the limited quality, but it sells it out fast, and it makes a ton of money because a lot goes into it. You know, if you don't put love into anything, if you don't put time into it, I mean, a lot of people put a lot of time and dedication into that event. 
and, and, it, and it makes it work. Um, I don't see that happening with the world championships. I see that happening with the NCAAs, but currently I'm not seeing that happening with the world championships right now. You know, and that's both on, on a feel thing. And I'm not seeing that happening with the, uh, the world team trials as well. Um, I'd like to see more, you know, more of that. I'd like to have them put it in more. I'd like to have them build up promotions to it. And, you know, there, there's, it's, it's, just, it's just upsetting to me that that stuff's not happening and it's going to be stuff that, you know, I want to start doing. You know, because I'm, you know, like I said, I, I, that's why I got back into the sport, and so that I can hope to hopefully start to present some solutions to these problems, start to do things a little bit differently, because the things we have been doing have not been working. If they were working, we wouldn't be in the situation we're in, where we're not, still not a core Olympic sport. It's been a pretty serious interview thus far, but there's some things. Obviously, we started out having some jokes, and let's let's turn the page a little bit on some things that make Jake Herbert tick, most notably your samurai hair, uh, the flowing locks, the stuffed plush of the Ultimate Warrior, the late, great Ultimate Warrior. All right, we got just, just a little bit of the uh, gun-to-your-head choices situations. So Let's do it. Those are my uh, best ones. All right, all right. One takedown. Tie match, two guys are on the mat. Guy needs one no, takedown. No, Criteria, criteria. No, I'm. Uh, we're we're using our yeah. rules. We're our rules. Thank Time, God. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's say. Okay. Let's change it up. Overtime. First takedown <laughs> between John Smith and Kale Sanderson. Who gets it? Take the weight Sanderson. differential out of the out of the equation. All right. Now you put the weight differential out of it. I would say Smith. But with the weight differential, I would say Sanderson. But Smith is just a, a mean, mean guy. I mean, he just, when he puts that competitive switch on, he wants it and he goes and he gets it. And I think it's the meanness factor, but yeah, I think Sanderson gets it with weight on. Better mustache, Carl Weathers as Apollo Creed or Tom Selleck as any Tom Selleck character ever? God, Kyle Massey is a great one right now. I have to throw him out for that, but I'm going to say Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck, Magnum yeah. PI. That's that's a pretty strong uh, 100%. one. 100%. All right. Yeah. Game show. Who wants to be a millionaire or Wheel of Fortune? Ooh, who wants to be a millionaire? That's mine. So, yeah. okay, Regis Philbin or Meredith Vieira is the host of said show. Oh, Regis, all the way. You seem to be yeah. like a you, – you're the type of guy I think Regis would have a lot of fun with. Oh, a ton of fun with it. I, I just love his interviews. So, like his off-camera when he's not being Regis Philbin, when he's being like real, it's, it's really funny. I just, I just like the jokes that he can play, and I just, I just feel like him and I would get along very well. Spicy buffalo wings or barbecue buffalo wings? Ooh, honey barbecue buffalo. Honey spicy barbecue buffalo wings. All right, that wasn't an option, but I'll take it. All right. <laughs> You're down by eight points with 15 seconds to go. What moves are you going to throw out of your, your bag of junk to try to pick up eight points in 15 seconds? The title force. It's the, the one that Tyson wants to invent that me and Roland have been working on for him. So the title force is a new move. Yeah, the du- I think it was called the, the double title lock is what he was calling it? Yes, yes, the double title lock. That's, that's what I would ask. All right, if there was any reality television show you would spend your time doing, what would it be? I really want to do The Amazing Race because I would smash those people so fast. It wouldn't even be fair. The Amazing Race, or I'd love to go on, bring back American Gladiators, and I would just school the American Gladiators So those Gladiators aren't really a competition for me. Who is your favorite American Gladiator? Man, Turbo is just, you know, I like, I like Laser. I like Blaze, and then, of course, you're going to have Blazer. It's a combination of both, Blaze and Laser. Who would your partner be on The Amazing Race? Miss Janelle Fox right now. She's pretty darn good. I, I wanted it to be Matt Gentry for a little bit. We were to do the uh, 
Olympian thing, the uh, co one, but uh, Michelle Fox just brings a whole new bunch of qualities to that that Matt Gentry does not bring. Andy Rovat at 74 kilos or Andy Rovat at 96 kilos? Andy Rovat at 96 kilos. Andy Rovat, clean shaven. Andy Rovat, full beard, long curly hair, looking like the guy from uh, The Hangover. Oh, uh-huh. I like Andy Rovat, curly hair, short with just mustache. That's kind of creepy. It's a good, it's a good look for him. If you actually just Google search him, I think that's one of the images that come up. Oh. Arnold Schwarzenegger in The Running Man or Arnold Schwarzenegger in Kindergarten Cop? Kindergarten Cop. Kindergarten Cop. That is the correct answer. I, I base a lot of my training off of that too. All right, Jake, you're you're currently training in Ann Arbor, and you and Andy have this new project called Double Leg Ninja in our last bit of time we have here. Tell us a little bit about Double Leg Ninja, what it is, and what the folks can do to find out more about Double Leg Ninja, and make sure they ask you, are yes, you a Double Leg you Ninja? Gotta, you have to ask me if I'm a Double Leg Ninja, that's one. But you can visit the webpage at DoubleLegNinja.com. We're all about making high school coaches, youth club coaches, wrestling orders easier. It's always hectic for coaches when they place their order for gear. They're always waiting on the companies. They're in a rush. They get it wrong. They don't get the right quality like this and that. And, that. and it's, just, it's just a hard process. We simplify it. We make it really, really easy. Where coaches are probably going to spend about 10 to 15 minutes phone call with us, and we'll be able to have everything set up, and we're actually going to be able to give them a specific date when they can receive their gear, something that most companies cannot do and will not do, and that's what we want to start doing. We want to make it easier on these guys because if you're a high school wrestling coach, and believe me, you don't make a lot of money for being a high school wrestling coach, so why should you spend a lot of time worrying about your gear, your team's gear, and, and all this? You know, Leave that to us. we got to figure it out. We have a system set up. I'm very excited to release it this year and to see how it goes. I mean, we had a little bit of, um, a little bit of success last year with it. We kind of just kept it on the DL, just did a few teams, and we're up and ready to run with the big dogs this year. So I'm, I'm really, really excited about this, and I can't wait to see you know, what it's going to be able to do and how it's going to help these coaches to just put more focus back into their teams and back into you know their practices, which, which is where the coaches should be, not on the gear and that order of assignments. We've been talking with Jake Herbert, 2012 Olympian, 2009 World Silver Medalist. You can follow him on Twitter at JakeHerbert84, and the website is DoubleLegNinja.com. And the quote on the Double Leg Ninja website, who is that from? Uh, Shaquille O'Neal. Shaquille O'Neal. March 6, 19... I can't remember his birthday, but he has the same birthday as me, which makes me a big Shaquille O'Neal fan. That and Shazam, which usually makes people less of Shaquille O'Neal fan, but that happens. Yeah, it's like, uh, what's, your, what's your favorite scary movie? Kazam. That's not scary. You ever seen Shaq act? Yeah. Anyway. All right, right, Jake. Good talking with you. Got any final words for folks out there that want to head out and maybe see some world team trials action or head up to Ann Arbor or check out your camps or or whatever you guys are doing? Final thought, Jake Herbert, it's your way. Yeah, get get out to the world team trials. Go support a local wrestling. Uh, Don't be a crazy wrestling dad. It's a sprint. The goal for the sport should be to get a college scholarship. So no wrestling tournament really matters until you're 12 years old. It doesn't. It really does not matter until they're 12. Focus on developing the kid. Make sure they become a fan of the sport. Make sure they grow love for the sport. Make sure they get control of their body. Right? It's, it's a long sport. It's really grueling, especially if you start full-time at 6. By the time you're 16, you want to quit, and they're going to rub in your face and quit. I don't want to see that. I want to get kids better. I want to help coaches out. Um, I'll be able to try to help in any way that I can. 
I'm like I said, we're, you know, Andy and myself are creating a training system, which we have big goals and aspirations for it. If you guys want information, shoot me an email, jake at doubleheadninja.com. And it's geared towards the kids and it's geared towards the coaches. There are a lot of programs out there with coaches who do not know how to coach or have only wrestled for only two to three years. So we can't expect them to coach or run a practice. And they currently don't have a curriculum to go off of. We want to create that for them. Um, we want to create a system for them to use so that it doesn't matter who your youth club is, that your athletes are going to be able to do X, Y, and Z physically and are be able to know X, Y, and Z technically. And then you're going to have the best chance to have the best high school program, you know, and send these kids off to college because that's what the sport's about. It's them getting a college scholarship, them getting the chance to go and wrestle, them, you know, not having to pay for school, them being able to get into schools they can't get into because of wrestling. Um, that's my rant on that, and um, that's really what I want to help across. You know, it was nice talking to you, Jason, and getting all these worries off my mind um, here and there, which is nice. And, and those are just problems. And like I said, I want to work on the solutions to these problems. So if anybody has any solutions, please let me know. I'm not hard to find. The Short Time Wrestling Podcast is brought to you by Flips Wrestling. Train alone or train out loud at flipswrestling.com. Like what you hear on Short Time? Drop us a line and leave a review on iTunes by going to theopenmat.com slash iTunes. And tell us what you think. Give us a five-star rating if you feel it's appropriate because we know you think it's appropriate. And also go to theopenmat.com slash subscribe to find out how you can get both digital magazines of the Open Mat Magazine and Tom Jr. for just one low price. Again, Leave us a review on iTunes at theopenmat.com slash iTunes and subscribe to The Open Mat at theopenmat.com slash subscribe. 